Is there anything you or the church offers for local business community or people in the community who don't want to come to church, but they, uh, but they, uh, they want meaningful guidance on leading a more fulfilling life through faith? That's actually a very good question. And a couple of us are actually talking about offering kind of a professional business person's group, like a weeknight kind of thing, maybe like a mastermind or something. And because I would be involved in it, certainly it would have a faith aspect, but would also have a professional business aspect uh, as well. So the answer to that question is yes. Without going into politics, thank you, <laughs> please explain uh, why proclaimed Christians push so hard to refuse the need to care for those less fortunate. That's actually not been my experience. Matter of fact, my experience has been, I mean, I've been a Christian since I was eight years old, so uh, that's like 20 years now. And uh, <laughs> I, I have noticed that it's actually Christians that tend to lead the way. Like back in the day when hospitals were being built in our country, it was Christian organizations building the hospitals. When orphanages were being built, it was Christian organizations building orphanages. When, it's, uh, when there's a need for food relief or boots on the ground in natural disasters, it tends to be, uh, if not churches, certainly uh, faith-based nonprofits who are first on the ground. So uh, if you've had an experience, I don't want to discount your question, uh, but you may have had an experience where the Christians around you weren't as involved in uh, meeting the needs of the less fortunate. Uh, I'm sorry that's your experience. But I, I think a better perspective is that actually Christianity tends to lead the way in that. And I'm very, very grateful. Certainly the most generous people I've ever met in my life have been people who follow Jesus. And, and I hope maybe in the future that'll be your experience as well. What does it mean when people say, well, I'm spiritual? I think it means, well, they're spiritual. <laughs> uh, that'd be my best guess. Uh, here's what I think it means. I think there's probably two sides to it. One is, they may not know what your question, like, is that a loaded question? Like, are you going to be one of those that comes after them if they give a particular answer? And so they kind of give this neutral or vague, I'm spiritual. The other side of it is, there's a whole school of thought around just spirituality. And I think in Southern California, we have just this melting pot of spiritual beliefs and people, uh, it's called syncretism, where I have a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a little bit of this. So I'm not particularly Christian and I'm not particularly Buddhist and I'm not particularly Jewish. I'm not particularly, you know, pick one. I'm, I'm kind of a blend. And, and then they answer, I'm very spiritually interested. I'm very spiritually uh, I'm a spiritual thinker, but I haven't landed anywhere. It could mean that as well. So it could be like, mm, this is a safe answer in the culture. I'm kind of a spiritual person. Or I'm a spiritual person. Uh, generally, what it doesn't mean is I really have landed. It, it generally means I, I, I really haven't picked the path I'm going to follow. I, that's generally what it means. Uh, I can't speak for everybody, but that's been my observation. Pastor, would you adopt a litter of kittens? First of all, I just want you to know, <laughs> I think the word litter is the most appropriate word in that, in that sentence. What is, the meaning when I, what is the meaning when I have achieved all my dreams? I'm not sure what the question means. Uh, 
I'd say good for you. <laughs> Most of us have. I don't, I don't know what you mean. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm told, uh, I'm told that if I pray too much about the same thing, God won't listen. Uh, you've been misinformed. Uh, count, uh, counseling, be specific and ask for what you want. Uh, here's what I'd say about that. I think I'm getting the essence of what you mean. The, you know, there is a verse in the Gospels where Jesus says, don't be like the Gentiles who believe by frequently repeating their prayers. It's kind of like a, I mean, I'm paraphrasing now. Uh, that's the formula to get your prayers answered. Just say it over and over and over and over and over again, and that's how you get your prayers answered. And Jesus said, no, don't be like that. And then Jesus taught us that, that really we connect our prayers to God by our faith. But Jesus is also the one who told the story about a man who needed bread in the middle of the night, and he goes to his neighbor's house, and he knocks on the door, and his neighbor says, what are you doing bothering me in the middle of the night? And he says, well, I need some bread. And the guy says, well, go away. And the man comes back, knocks on his door, he says, I still need bread. <laughs> well, go away. And the man comes back, and he knocks on the door, and the guy says, what do you want? He says, still need bread. And the guy says, here's the bread, you know, and go away. And then Jesus said it was because of his persistence that he received what he wanted. So do we have persistence? Do we not have persistence? Here's the thing we always have to be careful of when we pray. That the power of answered prayer is from God. And what the Gentiles were doing was thinking kind of like a magical incantation. Like a, if I just like do this formula, if I just do it right. Like this is the reason people get scared of prayer. They're like, I'm just afraid I'm doing it wrong. Well, when you fear that you're doing prayer wrong, what you're thinking is that the power of that prayer being answered is how you say it. The power in prayer is God's power. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us we really don't even know how to pray. And so what God has done, he's allowed the Holy Spirit to take our prayers. Listen, even when our prayers aren't words. Have you ever just cried and that was a prayer? Like, God knew what your heart was saying? Have you ever just moaned? Oh, and that was a prayer? Well, here's what the Bible says. That the Holy Spirit takes that groan and carries that to God. Because there are things we just can't even put into words. So it's okay if you're praying about the same thing over and over. Just don't think that it's because of your many prayers that somehow you're working like a deal or you're working a formula or, you, or it's up to you. Like some of, we work so hard for our prayers to be answered. That's wrong. We believe so often that our prayers would be answered. That's right. Does this make sense? Okay. Is what we're seeing in today's climate something that's written in the Bible? Now, the word climate, is that an environmental question or is it the cultural question? Uh, let, me answer, uh, let me answer both. Uh, I don't necessarily see like climate being spoken of in Scripture, so I don't, I don't think so. But cultural climate, like the, the days we find ourselves in, absolutely the Bible speaks to that. Uh, as we draw nearer to the end of days, as we draw nearer to the second coming of Jesus, uh, there are things in our world that the Bible talks about. There, there's a school of thought where people think, oh, life's just going to get better and better. No, that's actually not the way it's going to go. Things are going to get harder and harder. 
As we go through history, standing for faith will get harder and harder. There will be greater persecution as we get near days of tribulation and trouble that the Bible talks about. Uh, the Bible talks about like the end of time uh, happening with like a fireball, like a, you know, everything gets burned up and, and because of our nuclear technology, that absolutely can happen now. Like the whole planet could just be incinerated. Like when that was written 2,000 years ago, the technology for that didn't exist. Uh, we also know that the Bible says that before Jesus comes back, every person on earth will have had the chance to hear the gospel. We've never lived in a time with uh, technology like we have now that could make that possible. The person in the farthest reaches of the earth now because of technology could be communicated with and we wouldn't even have to travel there to communicate with them. Does this make sense? Like, so some of these things that were written in Scripture, it's like, yeah, of course, this is happening. This is happening in our day. Now, here's something you need to know. We have been in the last days for 2,000 years. For 2,000 years. Like, oh, are we in the last days now? Well, yeah, we have been for a couple millennia. Right after Jesus was raised from the dead, he was on earth, uh, and then he ascended into heaven. Some of you know this. And then there was a Jewish holiday where uh, Jews from around the world gathered in Jerusalem. And uh, uh, Peter preaches to this big crowd. Simon Peter, uh, for those of you who weren't raised in church, very famous follower of Jesus, uh, St. Peter's Basilica uh, in, in Europe, named after him, like very famous follower of Jesus. Peter preaches that day. And the Holy Spirit had, had come upon Peter and the other followers of Jesus. And Peter said this coming of the Spirit is an answer to a prophecy that had happened in the Old Testament that says, in the last days, I'll pour out my Spirit, and then these things will happen. And Peter was announcing this Spirit that's come upon us that was promised, it just happened, which means we just started the last days. See, time, from God's perspective, is different than our time. The Bible says for God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day, which means if you say, God, how long has it been since, like, Jesus died on the cross? We'd say 2,000 years. God would say it was the day before yesterday. Like, in his perspective, it, it, it hasn't been a lot of time. Is, it, is this, you with me? Yes. Okay. I don't remember the author, but somewhere in the Bible, it says women will be saved in childbirth, uh, translation. One of the interpretations of that is just legacy, is that, that their lineage, that their life, that their history, that their story will continue. It's not a reference to every woman who's had a baby now goes to heaven. You deserve to. Let me just say that, right? Like, if a man did that, we should be like, you know, kings in heaven or something because we, we wouldn't be able to handle it. But yeah, that, it's talking about their life continues as a result of childbirth. God said, love all people, creature, and creatures. Aren't cats a creature? Debatable. Uh, <laughs> so I love how people write their questions. This just says sex before marriage? Question mark. <laughs> uh, uh, the, inti the, the intimate act of sex is designed 
for the committed relationship that exists within a marriage. Oh, it's quiet. <laughs> like in our culture, we just like, oh, whatever. With everything going on. See, I love this. With everything going on. I don't know what you mean. With everything going on. Are we, oh, are we near the end? So, yeah, there we go. We are. <laughs> and then this question. Why me? Why not you? All right, here we go. <laughs> you thought you were giving me hard stuff. <laughs> do we have free will to choose or reject Christ? Yes, we do. Or are, oh, or, and I like this. Or are we predestined to salvation or damnation? That's a, a, not, the reason this is such a good question is because whole denominations have divided over this question. Like there are words in the Bible that would lead us to believe that it's all kind of been arranged and laid out and we're just uh, sort of sleepwalking through time and history because God's already set it all up. And those who are going to be saved, it's already been determined they're going to be saved. And those who are going to be lost, it's already determined who's going to be lost. First of all, that's a contradiction to the nature of God. Like, I'm not giving you a choice. You're damned, you're damned, you're damned. You're saved, you're saved, you're saved. That's not the God of the Bible. Free will is clearly taught in the Bible. The problem comes when we find words like uh, predestination or it was preordained. In the Greek language where those words are used, what the translation of the word is, is preset boundary. So when it says there are people who are predestined to be saved, what that means is there's a preset boundary. Anybody who is within that are those who are saved. Anybody who's outside of that are those who are not saved. What God predetermined was the boundary. But we have free will whether we step into it or not. You with me? So I've just solved, I don't know, 800 years of Christian history right there. <laughs> what do you think God is trying to tell us with all that's going on in the world? You guys are interested in what's going on in the world. Because, I mean, it's a crazy world. Would you agree? So, like, we know things are getting more complicated. Things are getting harder. Like, we know you can feel a movement in history. But what I want you to know is at the beginning of World War I, people felt it. And at the beginning of World War II, people felt it. And during the Vietnam War, our country felt it. I mean, like, there have been other times in history where we felt like all the wheels were coming off and this has to be the end. Well, it could be. It, this could be the very end. But it could be that it's the fact that we're just in the end of days. Okay? What do you think God's trying to tell us with all that's going on in the world, fire, floods, earthquakes, uh, murder, etc.? And, and I, I think it's a reminder that we're living in a fallen state. We're living in a fallen world. Like, this is very interesting. Now, I, I don't, I, I, I'm not smart enough to know all the theology about this. So I'll just confuse you right along with me, okay? Uh, but when Adam and Eve, like we know, when the first people went their own way, free will, went their own way away from God, not only did they spiritually fall away from God, but what we're taught in the scriptures is that nature fell as well. Therefore, earthquakes, floods, environmental issues, yeah, all, all of that, right? Then you get to the New Testament and we're taught that even nature groans 
waiting for Jesus to come back. Like even nature is wanting all of this to be fixed, which I think is so interesting that nature would groan and have some kind of, this is the part that confuses me. How is nature, there's no consciousness in nature. You know what I mean? But it's a very interesting thing. It could have just been a metaphor in the scripture. How do we please God in times of trouble? With faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, let me just say faith. Faith is not just, oh, I believe. That's not faith. Yeah, but I believe in a God I can't see. Isn't that faith? No, it's not really faith. It's not the kind of faith that's going to make a difference in your life. Let me just say that. It's not the kind of faith that the Bible talks about uh, is necessary to have a right relationship with God through Christ. Because the Bible says even demons believe. Even demons believe. Right? So now there's got to be a step further. And it's faithfulness. It was always a faith that led to a change of direction that led to a commitment of the heart to be a follower in the way of God. That was Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, it was enough faith about who Jesus was that I'm entrusting him with my future and I follow him in faithfulness. Our faith shows up in obedience. So see, there's the difference between us and demons. They just believe, but they don't obey. It's a belief. I believe so much in who Jesus is that I follow him with my life. Do you see the distinction? Just, they're just believing, but there's the believing that leads to faithfulness or following. Yes. You with me? Yep, yep. It is, faith with works. That's right. Um, why? Oh, oh, yeah, okay. A budget question about the church's budget. And this is a good question. Church's budget. Two things about it. First, our philosophy. And then kind of how things are. Uh, I'm glad you asked. You ask about giving, so I'm going to talk about it, <laughs> okay? Uh, our philosophy. We have never, week to week to week, taken in enough money to pay our bills. We're 14 years old. In November, we will be 14 years from our very first service, 14 years. So how do we pay our bills? At the end of the year, those who've been around through Christmas, we have a big end-of-year giving campaign. It's called Gift for Christ at Christmas. And for 14 years, you have faithfully shown up and you've given over and above your week-to-week and regular giving uh, in such a way then that we have a little surplus. And then through the course of the year, we spend that surplus down so that at Christmas time. We need a gift for Christ at Christmas again. Are you, are you with me? I wish it wasn't that way. I've never been at another church where it was that way. It's just that way. I think God thinks I need ulcers. I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's up to you, God. You want me to bleed out? I'll bleed out, you know. Like, I mean, there's some times. Give an example. Give an example. So like, we need, like if we were going to hit budget, like hit the number, about 80-something thousand a month. 
July uh, or uh, August was 45 in giving. I don't know July. June was 35,000 in giving. See, I want you to have ulcers too. (laughs) Here's really why. A few of you carry the rest of you. And if the rest of you did a little bit, your church would be stronger. You ask it. It's in my handwriting, but that's beside the point. Beside the point. I was as surprised by that as anybody was surprised by that. Pastor Brad, if you had 30 seconds with Jesus... What question would you ask him? Why do you love me so much? That's what I would ask him. Why do you love me so much? He sure does. And you too. Can non-Christians go to heaven? Jesus said. This is just Jesus. See, this is where your faith comes in. I either believe this or I don't believe this. Jesus said, he is the way. And he said, nobody... That's, that's any of us. Nobody comes to the Father except through Him. Now, here's the argument. And we get this question a lot. Like, why do you believe Jesus is the only way? Because Jesus said it. So you have a couple of things here. You either believe, okay, He's the Son of God. That's it. That's it. That's the way. Or you believe He was just like delusional. David Koresh, Sun Young Moon. Other cult leaders. I mean, just nutcase. Or just a liar. I mean, you, you have to decide. So then you say, okay, well, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, so then that's true, so he's the way. But though, So isn't that just so exclusive? It would be if he didn't invite everybody. Like this goes back to the predestination thing. Like you said, you know, not everybody gets to come. I'm the way, but that doesn't relate to you. You don't get to come anyway. That'd be bad. But the Bible says that whosoever, like anybody who wants to come this way, is invited to come this way. So let me give an example. Let's just say Karen and I are having a party at our house. And uh, it's going to be a great party. And, uh, I mean, I'm making it up, so it's going to be a great party. What, what are we serving, honey? We're having great food. It's going to be a great party. Uh, and, and you hear, through the grapevine, that you're not invited. Then you'd say, well, Brad and Karen are really being exclusive. They're, they're really kicking some people out. That's not right. But if you hear we're having a great party... And you get your invitation in the mail. And then you ask all your friends and they got an invitation. And then they ask all their friends and they got an invitation. And you can't find anybody who wasn't invited. You wouldn't be able to accuse us of being narrow-minded or exclusive, right? Because everybody could come. So Jesus is the way. That sounds narrow. And it is narrow. One door. But anybody can go through it. Let's just say there's a fire in the building. This building. Right now. 
And the only way out are those, that right there, that exit, one exit. You wouldn't say, well, that's pretty narrow. It's pretty, pretty exclusive. I think I'm going to go out that door. Go ahead. Can't get out that way, but you're free to go that way. But everybody can go through that door. Are you with me? Sometimes it's attitude. I get to choose. Do you have a teaching series on the book of Revelations? I'm going to teach you something really, real quick. There's no S on the end of that word. Just so you know, it's revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do I have a teaching series on that? Uh, I don't. Uh, I've taught passages out of Revelation, but not a series out of Revelation. And I'll tell you why. Because good hearted, oh, there's a second part. Good hearted, scholarly, sincere, thoughtful, intelligent uh, men and women through time have greatly disagreed on what some of those passages mean. So I will teach things like Jesus is coming back. There's very wide agreement on that. I believe he's coming back physically. I think he's coming visibly. And in terms of world history, I think he's coming soon. There's wide agreement on that. But the details of that, like I can, I can remember, so 666. I can remember, you know, Mark of the Beast, like people talking about that. And, and I remember somebody saying, Ronald Wilson Reagan, six letters, six letters, six letters. He's the Antichrist. I remember that. I remember people saying that. And it's like, gosh, all the Ronalds of the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, or it's like, it, that's the kind of stuff you get into that just kind of makes me crazy. Uh, the word rapture, uh, first coined late 1700s, early 1800s, never taught or spoken by the early church fathers. 300, 400 A.D. Never spoken. In terms of history, it's like a relatively new concept. And so it's like, I'm not going to get into those weeds because that, to me, is, is almost irrelevant. It's if you have a relationship with Jesus, the end of the story is really, really good. And that's what I want to get people to. Does this make sense? Now, I'll just tell you, you can go to churches and they just love that stuff. And I just say, have at it. It's interesting. I took classes on it. I know all the points of view. But there's no agreement on it. And these are really good people. Really smart people. Who really know their scriptures. And they'll look at the same passage and they'll see two different things there. Okay? Why does God allow sexual abuse or assault? That's a very heavy question. And how do we help those? Uh, and how do we own those? The second part. How do we help those who don't uh, come to Jesus? So two, two different questions. Uh, God allowing. That's, a, you know, we, we talked about this last week a little bit. Uh, and then I got a good email on it uh, this week too. It's, it's the whole question of any kind of suffering. Any kind of evil. Any kind of 
human-on-human harm. Why didn't God just stop it? Uh, Let me just give you a really, really quick. First of all, one day he will. Like, that's what we know happens at the end of time. God makes everything right. Everything right. And, And those who need to stand in front of him for judgment will. So, the fact that he hasn't stopped it, don't let that lead you to believe there won't be a day when he doesn't reconcile the books. You with me? Yes. We can start over. I've got them right here. We just go right, right there. Uh, here's the other thing. It's the issue of free will. For God to, to stop evil means he stops the person who would have done the evil, which means he removed from that person their will, their freedom, which means we're robots. And God doesn't do that. So free will is a part of this. Here's the other thing. Every good attribute in the world, every positive attribute in the world is in response to evil. If I see poverty, I feel compassion. But if you remove poverty, you remove compassion. When I see hate, I want to inject love. But if there is no hate, there's no need to love. And so if you want a world without hate, and you want a world without suffering, What you'll be left with is a world without compassion or love. And that's not a world we want to live in either. So as I said last weekend uh, to a part of a question like this, is where to be the change? In the meantime, where we can address evil, we should. Because that's that's how the world gets changed. That's how we do God's work while we're here. Are you with me? Uh, how do I find my God-given purpose? Uh, and when does it become clear? That's really good. So there's a general purpose of God, and then there are specific things that you can do. I just gave one. Like wherever you see injustice, and it, it strikes your heart, well, I, I better work for justice. Or I, I see a, a physical need, and it just you know uh, causes generosity to well up in you. I'm... I'm supposed to address this because I I saw the need and I felt something in my heart about that, so I'm the one. I mean, just engaging is is like a general. Loving God, loving your neighbor, that's like a general. Like that's that's just for everybody. Uh, But your like your mission in the world has a lot to do with your experiences in the world. And it's how God's wired you in the world. For instance, he won't ask an introvert to go out and then suddenly be an extrovert. He didn't make you that way. And then you would just be cluttering it up for the rest of us extroverts, right? We need the stage. You sit down. Um, you, you You would find your way, your purpose, in your wiring, like how God, how God has made you in this. Uh, the other thing is your abilities. 
Like, not everybody has the same talent. Not everybody has the same skill set. The New Testament talks about a set of abilities that God puts in us called spiritual gifts, not a, like teaching or leadership, uh, hospitality. Not everybody has the same. So some of it is self-awareness. What are you good at? What are you gifted at? What's your temperament? What's right in front of you to do? That goes a long way in helping you define the kinds of things that you would do uh, as, as some of your mission. All good things come from God, but bad things don't. Uh, just the good. That seems, a, that seems a little backwards. But all good things come from God, but bad things don't. Just the good. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know. I, here's what I can affirm from what I understand about that question. I, I wouldn't quite understand the question. I apologize, it's my fault. But all good gifts come from God. We do know that. And then the bad and the evil that's in the world actually comes from people who choose to do things other than what God would want. If we all did it God's way, it'd be a perfect world because that's how he set it up. How do you keep your faith to the Lord uh, even when you, I think this means even when you're going through so much? Uh, That's actually where faith is built. That's actually where other good qualities are built, like perseverance and patience and like internal strength. If life was easy, you'd be weak. If life was easy, you'd be weak. If life was easy, you'd have no faith. It's kind of like that other answer. It's in response to the hard. It's in response to the challenging. It's in response... To pressure. You'll never be everything God wants you to be unless you have a season of pressure, unless you have a season of pain, unless you have a season of struggle, because that's how your spiritual character is built. Does this make sense? What profound thing happened to you that confirmed to you that you had to be a pastor or not? That's a really good question. I was 17. I didn't want to be a pastor. I was going to be a policeman. And uh, I had visions of being in the Secret Service one day because they dressed really nice. And I just thought, <laughs> I like the little microphones, you know. I've got one now, so. Uh, I arrived. <laughs> it was a tugging at my heart. It was conversations with people. And I'll just be very, very honest. I've, just, I've, I've done some writing about this. It was also some pressure from my family. Like, they wanted me to be a pastor. And as I look back on it, I see, I, I see kind of some, not forcing, there was a high expectation that that's what I would do with my life. Um, and so it was a combination of things. Because in the cult, church culture I grew up in, if you could publicly speak, like I've never been afraid to talk in public, not in school, not as a child, not ever. I can remember like first grade, I think it was, or second grade. I mean, I was a little guy, and we had to do a book report. Do they, I don't know, do they still do book reports? We had to stand up in front of class and give a little, a little talk. And I can remember seeing my, my friends crying. Why, why are you crying? I'm scared. And I thought something was wrong with me, because I couldn't wait for it to be my turn. <laughs> so there's always been that. So in the culture I grew up in, if you could talk in public... You're supposed to be a pastor. 
I know. <laughs> it's like that, that's kind of how I got here. Now, God's used it, and I, I know he's led in my life and has been pleased with me doing this, but there were a lot of streams that went into that river. Uh, besides the resurrection, if I'm not 100% on board with all of the miracles in the Bible, can I still be a good Christian? Yes. It's believing who Jesus is. Like there are, How many of you have been a Christian, let's say, longer than 20 years? How many of you understand everything about everything in the Bible? You don't have to. It's not, what do you believe about the Bible that gets you into heaven? It's not. You don't even have to have a Bible. You can be a Christian without ever having seen a Bible. It's about your relationship with Jesus. That's how we're made right with God. Now, the rest is just like gravy on biscuits. I need, I need something from that, like an amen or cook it, brother, cook it, you know, something. What's the difference between judgment? Oh, this is good. What's the difference between judgment, tolerance, and woke Christianity? How do we reconcile loving others while following Jesus? This is an important question. You know, here's what I'd say. Big difference between accepting and approving. You can accept someone. You do this with your family members all the time. All the time. They come for dinner, right? They sit at the table. We make nice. Love them, love them, love them. And they leave, and then we judge them hard. We just judge them hard. That's what we do, right? So we accept, but we don't always approve of what they're doing. We don't always approve of what they're doing. Now, if you're an adult If you're a parent of adult children, you really know this. Because then they're going to do their thing. And they're still going to be our kids. We love them. But we don't always, boy, they just made a bad decision. But they're not going to listen. they got to go their own way. Because we did too. Right? So acceptance, approval. That's part of it. Here's the other side that I want to say. And you're not going to expect this answer. Be very careful your tone of voice when you talk about woke. Be very careful your attitude when you talk about people, anybody, any people, who you might disagree with. Because what happens, we start, we'll set up this artificial us against them. And that was never Jesus' style. I I was following this pastor and his wife. uh, They're they're in the Carolinas, I forget, north or south. Uh, And and they, they, they had such a vibrant, vibrant ministry, but they've gotten into this, like, tone against all things woke. They use that word a lot. It's not the fact that, I know what you mean by that. It doesn't have to be a negative or a pejorative, but it's how you think about other people that Christians have to be very careful with. Because kindness is our mandate. Gentleness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit living in us. And I I see this harsh, militant, look at those Christians. And they've set up this us against them. And I'm telling you, you will not. You know, Jesus had that gear. Jesus had that gear. 
but not against his followers and not against people who had broken the rules of God and were trying to figure it out. You know who he had it against? The self-righteous who had a very angry, mean tone of voice. That's who Jesus went after. So we want to be very careful as we have this conversation how we have the conversation. You with me? Well, I didn't think Can mentally ill people go to heaven? Living proof. <laughs> now, I say that kind of teasing, but you know, I've battled depression through my life. That is considered a mental illness. And people are like, told you so. <laughs> so, does God speak to us using repeated symbols, numbers, animals, etc.? That's so, that's so interesting because I know what you're saying there. You know, like, oh, there's a butterfly. That's Uncle Joe. Or, you know, a sparrow landed on my window. That's my ex-husband, you know. Or it's like, uh, I was like, well, no kidding. He was at my house too. <laughs> you know, it's like, weird. Uh, here's what I know. Here's what I know. The Holy Spirit is called our comforter. It's called our comforter. And nothing really has meaning unless we attach meaning to it. And if you find comfort in some of that, I think God can use that. What I would say is don't base the major decisions of your life on that. Like, oh, if I see a butterfly today, I'm going to change jobs. <laughs> probably wouldn't does everyone have the capacity for God or are some people inherently evil I think everybody has a capacity for God except those who are you know mentally ill psychotic sociopaths like there's something bent that's not normal and it's that it's that mental gear that psychological break that would keep them from understanding that, but God wants, he wants all of us to have a relationship with him. He wants all of us. You were born for great things, and you were born with great worth, and, and it's our decision to go away from that that kind of wrecks the train. Did Jesus talk about homosexuality? Um, and we can get into this deeper, but did Jesus talk about it? No, he did not. What happened to people in the world who died never knowing about Christ? Uh, Aztecs, always worried about the Aztecs. <laughs> um, Native Americans, <laughs> I can't read the rest of that because <laughs> they're like now talking about other people groups. Uh, so let's just go Old Testament on this answer. Like Abraham, Noah. Uh, Gideon, like you know, some of the fam- Ruth, some of the famous people of the Old Testament. How were they made righteous before Jesus died on a cross to forgive our sins? And the Bible tells us it was by faith. And again, look at their lives. They were not perfect people. Abraham lied. King David committed premeditated murder. Like these were these were characters. But when they felt God speaking to them and responded in obedience to what he wanted them to do, faith, faithfulness, the Bible says that was counted to them as righteousness. 
You, you with me? Now, what about people who've never heard? This is this, you know, I, I get this all the time, people who've never heard. I actually think anybody can hear uh, anywhere in the world if they're seeking. Uh, I had a missionary, uh, I want to say a friend, he was an acquaintance, spoke at this conference I was at, and he had gone to this very remote, very primitive, like tribal primitive, like living in tents, no electricity, no running water, very primitive Muslim village, very remote. And he began to talk to them about this God in heaven who had created the world and them and loved them and had sent his son and just kind of told the story. And the chief of this little tribe starts crying. And the missionary said, tell me about your tears. And he said, I've been dreaming about this Jesus. I just didn't know his name. He's been coming to me in dreams. Like God will go out of his way. Like he left heaven. He'll go out of his way to bring us into his family. Does this make sense? Where are our dead relatives now? Uh, in heaven or waiting to rise from the grave? They're in heaven. You know, we're, we're housed in a body, but our body is not who we are. Did you know that? Did you know that who you are will never die? Who you are will never get sick? Will never get sick. Your body will. We should be very careful saying things like, I'm sick. No, you're not. Your body might have something. You're fine. Prove this to you. Let me have a volunteer to come up here, and I'm going to cut off your arm. Just one, raise your hand while you can. Go ahead. <laughs> raise the one you want me to take. Here's what we would know. Cut off your arm, and then I say, do you still love the people you've always loved? Sure. You still have in your heart the things that have always brought you joy? Sure. You always have the same dreams, hopes, and aspirations that you always have? Sure. Why? Because that's who you are. Laugh at the same things, talk about the same things, care about the same things. Who you are, that's the spiritual part of you. You are not a body that just happens to have a soul. You're a soul lives forever, never gets sick, that just happens to reside for a period of time in a body. Now, at some point, the Bible says those two will come back together. But when you die, who you are is immediately with God. If you're a Christian, okay. Rape, torture, and slavery are not mentioned in the Ten Commandments. A heavy question already. Yet they're three of the worst things you can do to someone. Yes. Uh, why are they not there? That's a, that's a very good question. Um, I think they are in a way. Like, thou shalt not kill. There's more than killing a body. More ways to kill a person than killing their body. Jesus said hating someone is murder. Like, doing what you've just described, you would have killed something inside of a person. So I think that's there. Uh, putting God first 
in your life would then have you not become this kind of person. So I think that's there. Oh, that's the first time that's ever happened. <laughs> he said, I'm out of time. <laughs> uh, let me see. Okay, real, 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 real quick. Should people wait until marriage to have sex? I already answered that. When do you think, uh, when you think you're doing a bad deed but resist it, is it considered a good deed? It's always good to resist a bad deed. Yeah. Uh, my opinion on Unitarian churches. Unitarian churches. You know, I, I don't judge other churches. What I'm saying is there are schools of thought. It kind of goes back to the spiritual question. We're just like all roads lead up the mountain. Uh, any, any path will do. And I actually don't believe that because I do believe what Jesus said, that he's the path, that everybody is invited to walk. So there are schools of thought and religious organizations that believe kind of you can believe anything and it's all the same. That is their belief. You're asking mine. I don't believe that. Okay? Can we collect clothes for Maui? Absolutely. If that's your question, you can come see me after church. Because we have this thing around here. It's a philosophy called you're it. Which means if you have an idea, God put it on your heart for a reason. And that's to lead it. So if you really care, see, here's what people do. I think our church should do that. Besides Jesus, which person in the Bible would you like to meet in person? Besides Jesus. Uh, I mean, I want to see my mom and dad and brother again. And so I'm eager for that. Uh, will we ever have a permanent home? And what I think you mean by that is our church building. Let me just tell you this real quick. Last question. Uh, permanent home. We, are, uh, we just passed the three-year mark in July of our second five-year lease on this space. And I hope we don't sign another lease short of the terms radically changing. I think it's time for our church to look to buy, if we possibly could. Because we pay $30,000 a month to rent this space. I told you last month, 45000 June, the whole income for the month, 35000 All we did in June was pay rent. Didn't pay anything else. I mean, we did because of the Christmas surplus, but you see what I mean? Like, we could have a big mortgage for less than what we're paying in rent. But finding that kind of space and the timing of it, like, we couldn't buy it now and pay this rent and pay that mortgage. You see? So... Pray about that. But I think it's time. I think it's time. Thank you for your good questions. Uh, I'm going to say, say a real quick prayer. Father, thank you for everybody who's here, their sincere hearts. God, we just want to know. We just want to please you. We just want to know you. We just want to walk with you. And so when we ask, I mean, you even invited us to ask. 
So this really was a spiritual exercise for the people who submitted questions. So thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.